You're listening to the Word of Life AG Podcast. This is the message from this week's service. If you want to view the full service, including worship, please head to our website at wordoflifeag.org. While there, you can also see what's coming up at the church, or even check out some next steps. All right, let's dive into this week's message. Come on, somebody. I heard Amelia out there. Amelia, one more time. There we go. All right. Well, good morning, everybody. We are in our second week of Set Apart series, and today our message is going to be on joy. So I'm super stoked about bringing it today. First of all, Mission Sunday. I just love Mission Sunday. Missionaries lighting up the darkness where others won't go. So thankful we're a part of a church that supports many, many missionaries. So, so good. Also so thankful to be here with the youth in the building today. Um, yes, our youth are incredible. God is on the move. You are uh, going to see some incredible things that God has been doing in our youth. And I'm so excited to be able to be here and be a part of it with an incredible team. Last week, Pastor Tom had mentioned that Life Youth Junior was going to be relaunched. And that is going to be on September uh, 3rd. So if you are here and uh, you are in 6th, 7th, or 8th grade, uh, we're going to join Big Church for worship. And then we are going to head out and we are going to get stuff done growing together in the Lord. So who's excited about that? Who else is excited about that? Yes, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. Amelia's excited about that. So, uh, yeah, so we've begun this summer series of being set apart, and we are bouncing out of Galatians chapter 5, where we hear about the fruit of the Spirit. I'm going to read that right now. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's being set apart. You know, that that fruit that we read about, that is not of this world. Those are things that do not come easy. That is not of our circumstances most of the time. It's not of our flesh. That is fruit of the Spirit. We have a discipleship uh, program here at Word of Life called Learning to Follow Jesus. And in that discipleship program, there's a chapter where we look into that fruit. And we're actually challenged to think about some of our friends that maybe own some of those fruits. And we're also challenged to look at that fruit as far as we are operating. Are we operating in that fruit? And I think at any time I can take a look at that list and listen, I am human. I am prone to wander. So at any time I can look at that list and there's a challenge. But I'm so very thankful that this list brings me back. Am I off? God, am am I living in the fruit of Annie Bullard and Annie Bullard's circumstances, or am I living in the fruit of the Spirit? Now, as Pastor Tom divvied out our, uh, the preaching uh, moments, our, the fruit uh, for this series to our preaching team, none of us knew that uh, when he handed me joy, that tragedy would hit my, my family um, just actually a month ago yesterday. Um, tragedy. And it honestly... Uh, to be honest, it's, it's the most difficult season of my life. So as I dig into this word joy today, and anyone hearing the sound of my voice, uh, I pray this is for you, but I want you to know this is for me. You know, God is so good in his kindness that he would give me joy just six weeks out um, from today that I would be able to hone in on an attribute of God that I need, I need right now in the middle of my life. So I'd like to begin with a scripture that we find in James that really drills in down on joy. And it gives us a peek on how to allow this to become a strength in our lives. It says this, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. 
Okay, let me say that one more time. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Another version says it this way. Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so that you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. Let's take a minute to pray. Father, we just want to take our lives, take our hearts, take our being, take our attention and give it to you this morning. God, would you have your way in us? Would you have your way in us? Teach us about joy right now in this season of our lives. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. So that word joy in both Galatians and James has the same meaning in the original Greek. It's a word, kara, and what it means is cheerfulness that is calm delight. You know, in the midst of circumstances, that cheerfulness, that is calm delight. That's what the word is talking about. I mentioned how it's interesting that I'm preaching on joy right now in the season of life that I am in. Hit with the worst uppercut that my family has ever faced. It's a season that took our breath away and it really had opportunity to steal our peace, our hope, and our joy. But God is faithful. I stand here today choosing joy in the midst of my circumstances, and it's cool because he gave this to me as a gift to be able to press into my circumstances that could not conjure up joy. Owning joy is not fruit of the world. It's not fruit of my circumstances. It's a fruit of the Spirit. And so we're going to take a look at both, the, both joy and happiness and see what the difference is there. So Compassion International describes the difference between joy and happiness. It's the difference that, uh, that it takes place in the mind and the heart. So joy is a little word. Happiness is a big word. Joy is in the heart. Happiness is on the face. Joy is of the soul. Happiness is of the moment. Joy transcends. Happiness reacts. Joy embraces peace and contentment waiting to be discovered. Joy runs deep and overflows while happiness hugs hello. Joy is a practice and a behavior. It's deliberate and it's intentional. Joy is profound and scriptural. Don't worry, rejoice. Happiness is a bomb. Don't worry, be happy. Joy is an inner feeling. Happiness is an outward expression. Joy endures hardships and trials and connects with meaning and purpose. A person pursues happiness but chooses joy. Yeah, it is good. And if one of us claps. Um, so a friend of mine, uh, her name is Robin Hills. She's actually a ministry director of Church Online. Everyone say, hey, Robin. Yeah, she's amazing. She, uh, actually, she just like bounces around with joy, and she's quiet. She's behind the scenes. She doesn't need any attention. She's just amazing. Robin and her husband, Jeff, who's on camera today. Everyone say, hey, Jeff. The funny thing about this is they do not want any attention. So that's what makes this really, really funny. My husband is probably happy that I'm not picking on him today. But you can say, hey, Rob. Hey, Rob. Um, so anyways, back to Robin. So Robin uh, and her husband, Jeff, build homes from the ground up. And when I'm talking about a home, I'm not talking about like a little cape that I first lived in. I'm talking about these beautiful, gorgeous, big structures from the ground up. And so one day, Robin is on a job site, and she zzzz, she zzzes off three of her fingers. 
Her pointer, her middle, and her ring were all affected by the saw. Which, to be honest, like that's a physical blow, right? I would have given myself at least a week pity party over that. And what Robin did was she was like, well, my pinky and my thumb, this is like how she kind of talks, her, the joy bubbles over in her throat. I can still hold a nail on my pinky and my thumb. So she was up on the roof the next day, boom, 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 boom. Like that woman is absolutely amazing. But it doesn't end there. This is so great. This is where I see joy in action. So Robin is a twin. And for her follow-up visit, she had her twin wrap up her hand so that when she went into the doctor, she would blow the doctor's mind thinking that her digits grew back. So isn't that hilarious? Like that's choosing joy in the midst of a life uppercut. And I love it. Um, There's a picture of Robin and Roxanne. Did we throw that up already? Did we? Yeah, look at them. Aren't they great? Who who knows which one Robin is, left or right? Right, you are right, people. Okay, Um, so yeah, Robin is a joy walker, a joy giver, and I absolutely love her. There's another woman in scripture who we want to look at today, and what she did was she surrendered her happiness and in turn chose, chose a path to peace and joy. Her name is Leah, and we see her story unfold in Genesis chapter 29, and this is a wild ride. There was a man named Jacob who has his own wild ride, and he had gone back to his mother's homeland in pursuit of a wife after he had a major family falling out with his brother, his twin brother. Actually, there was deception involved. He went in pursuit of one of his uncle's daughters. (laughs) Everyone say yipes. Okay, so anyways, he makes his way to his mom's homeland, and then um, that was located in the region of Western Asia, and he finds his uncle, and he falls in love with his uncle's youngest daughter, Rachel. Now, Rachel's older sister's name was Leah. Genesis 29, 17 says that Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure, and she was beautiful. Now, there are multiple thoughts as what weak eyes meant, anywhere from cross-eyed or lazy-eyed or delicate. But either way, physically, she didn't hold a candle to her sister, Rachel. Oh, to be that sister, right? I mean, I was the sister that was thick before thick was in. So I was like, Rachel, I hear you, girl. Um, But anyways, what happened was Jacob loved Rachel. He worked with his, for his uncle for seven years so that she could be his wife. The Bible says that those seven years seemed only like a few days because of the love that Jacob had for Rachel. Now, it was customary for the older daughter to marry first. And I wonder, what were those seven years like for Leah? You know, they flew by for Jacob. And I'm sure that Rachel, for Rachel, they were a little steamy. But what about Leah? What do those seven years feel like to Leah? And then when it was time for the couple to unite as husband and wife, after the wedding celebrations, Laban, the uncle, snuck in Leah in the dark. So when it was time for the husband and wife to consummate the marriage after the celebrations, in the dark, Jacob is with Leah, but he doesn't know it because it's dark out. I kind of wondered about that. Like, wouldn't you have, like, turned on a candle or something? Anyway, moving right along. Um, Can you imagine what that must have been like? to wake up next to the girl with a nice personality when you thought you were with the girl of your dreams. I think it's interesting that Jacob deceived his twin brother and now he had been duped. But anyway, Jacob wakes up in the morning and he says this, what is this that you have done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? 
Laban says, it is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete this week of this one, and we will give you the other one also in return for serving me for another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. Now, if I was one of those sisters, there would be somebody with some bald spots, I'll tell you what. I wonder what that would have felt like for Leah. I mean, she was a pawn in her father's hand. She had been part of the deception, but it had backfired very badly. And I think about what it must have been like for Leah. She had that first night when her husband thought he was with the girl of his dreams. What that first night must have been like. And then after that, every other intimate time would have been massively lackluster. I'm sure it was painful and lonely for Leah. But here's where we see our girl Leah enter into a painful journey and press into something beyond her circumstances. Something happened to Leah as the story unfolds, and it becomes apparent that she must have developed some sort of close relationship with her God. Genesis 29 31 through 35 says this, you can follow along. Now when, Le- when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he made her able to bear children, but Rachel was barren. Leah conceived and she gave birth to a son and named him Reuben, which means see a son. For she said, because the Lord has seen my humiliation and my suffering, now my husband will love me since I have given him a son. Then she conceived again and gave birth to a son and said, because the Lord heard that I am unloved, he has given me this son also. And she named him Simeon, which means God hears. She conceived again and gave birth to a son and then said, now this time my husband will become attached to me as a companion, for I have given him three sons. And his name was Levi. Again, she conceived and gave birth to a fourth son. And she said, now I will praise the Lord. And she named him Judah. And then for a time, she stopped bearing children. So in Leah's culture, it was valued to have the ability to have a son. A son carried on the family name. He could be the breadwinner. He could be a great leader. But when Leah became pregnant, what what was in her mind is that we see the depth of her pain and her anguish in the way that she names her children. See me. Hear me. Be with me. Her pain was great, and her circumstance was so dire that she named her children after her heart's desire. She put her hope in her pregnancies that they would cause her circumstance to change. Reuben, see me. Simeon, hear me. Levi, be with me. And finally, Judah, praise the Lord. Leah's unmet fundamental needs robbed her of joy. And as we dissect what this pain must have looked like for Leah, I wonder if we can relate here in 2023. See me. Now, studies show that being seen is necessary to feel like we matter, and it promotes mental and emotional well-being, included a reduced risk for anxiety and depression. Feeling noticed is the opposite of feeling invisible. It feels good to be seen, right? I mean, it does. It feels good to be seen. When we gather to pray for our youth prior to a Wednesday night service, the team will pray that each and every youth that walks through the doors or walks onto the campus or walks into the backyard would feel seen. It's important to feel seen. It occurred to me that feeling seen is likely to feel as if it adds value to who you are because of recognition. It's nice to be recognized, but we are worthy because God created us on purpose and said that we are good. Maybe we've seen it in ourselves or maybe we've seen it in others, tooting our own horns so that others might see us and deem us valuable, trying to prove our worth 
And what a joy robber that is. Solomon tells us in Proverbs 27 too, don't praise yourself, let someone else do it. Let the praise come from a stranger and not from your own mouth. One of the names of God is El Roy, and it means the God who sees. May we find joy, my friends, in knowing that we are seen by the one who truly matters, and then allow him to work out the rest. And then hear me, the need to be heard is one of the most powerful motive forces in human nature. We, we define and sustain ourselves in conversations with others. The recognition of being listened to is the response from another person that tells us that our feelings, our actions, and our intentions are meaningful. Active listening is intentionally turning off our need to get our point in there and instead choosing to listen to the other person and allowing them to be heard. Not feeling heard would be a serious joy buzzkill. Psalm 61, 1 through 5 says this, Oh God, listen to my cry. Hear my prayer. From the ends of the earth, I cry to you for help. For when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock of safety. For you are my safe refuge, a fortress where my enemies cannot reach me. Let me live forever in your sanctuary, safe beneath the shelter of your wings. For you have heard my vows, O oh God. You have given me an inheritance reserved for those who fear your name. Lord, let my requests be heard by you. Another name for God is El Shema, who is the God who hears, the God who listens. Psalm 5.3 says, listen to my voice in the morning, Lord. Each morning I bring my requests to you and wait expectantly. Psalm 116, 1-2 says this, I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my prayer for mercy. He bends down to listen and I will pray as long as I have breath. There is one who will always hear and who will always listen. And if we're not taking our burdens and our circumstances and our situations and our pain to him, we are missing out. Because he is the one that hears. Press into that so your soul will find comfort and joy that you are heard by your heavenly father. And then finally, be with me. The American Psychological Association defines loneliness as an emotional distress that we feel when our inherent needs for intimacy and companionship are not met. It's clear to me that that's what Leah must have felt when she named her third son. Husband, be with me. I had uh, someone in my life one time that wrote a poem about their dad. Their dad was not able to show them the attention and the care that they desired from their earthly father. And so they wrote a message or a poem called The Well. And in, the, in that poem, it talked about going to the well and looking to, be, to, to quench the thirst that they had in their being. But going to the well, the, the well was dry. And even though they would leave thirstier than they were when they went there, they would continue to go back to the same place. What do they say? That like going to do the same things and expecting the res different results is insanity? And that's what it was, continuing to go back to a dry well and expecting to leave filled. And finally, the very last line of that poem was brilliantly, oh well, oh well. And it wasn't a, a, a last one-liner of defeat. What it was was a declaration that they would not be satisfied by going to a dry well, but instead to one that would always satisfy. And at that time, that individual was searching to his heavenly father, seeking his heavenly father for a filling that someone on this earth could never fulfill. It wasn't a, a poem of defeat. It was a poem of acceptance that that well would remain dry. It would not produce water, but there is one who will always satisfy. 
Again, the names of God include that he is near or he is with us. Emmanuel means God with us. Also, Jehovah Shema means the Lord is there. And honestly, I believe that that's where Leah found herself, desperate for connection to the man that she named her third child, hoping to connect with, possibly in the way that she had felt on that very first false night. Oh, to be connected again. Third child, be with me. But at some point, nothing had changed in Leah's situation by the time her fourth kid was born. It was Leah who had changed. At some point in Leah's journey, she realized that it was best, that there was joy to be found in being seen, heard, and connected to the audience of one. And so she named her fourth child Judah, which means praise the Lord. And this time, Leah chose to praise the one who would always be there. Leah had declared her anguish in the names of her first three sons, and when the fourth one came along, she decided to look to God, to see the positive in her situation. She decided that she would praise the Lord, and so she did. We read, in, we read in scripture that Leah's position in the family never changes. When Jacob goes to meet his twin brother Esau, he wasn't sure after many years of separation uh, how uh, the meeting would go. And so what he did was he set up a line of, of the concubines and their children first. And then came Leah and her kids. And then came Rachel and Joseph. And, you know, in case Esau was violent towards them, the favorites were last in line so they could have a means of escape. Ouch. I mean, that's great for Rachel and her kid, but what about the concubines and what about Leah? It's messed up. And I want to, this is really interesting in digging into scripture. A little later, later on, Leah had two more sons and she names them Issachar and Zebulun. And what their names mean is reward and honor. Leah speaks to us from scripture because she made a choice and it made all the difference. She praised the Lord and then there was reward and honor. I don't want that to be wasted. She praised the Lord and then there was reward and honor. In case you haven't figured it out yet, life isn't fair. <laughs> Right? This is the broken side. Bad things happen to good people. People make horrible decisions that affect others in drastic ways. Leah goes on to show us that we have a choice. We can be bitter or we can be better. We can go on or we can go under. We can be buried by our circumstances or we can choose to rise up and choose joy. So what do we learn from Leah? When things don't go our way, when life is unfair, when our circumstances aren't happy, when we don't feel seen, heard, or connected, when things don't change, we need to be the ones who change. We need to be the ones that change our focus, which is entirely not of this world. It's being set apart. Leah's encouragement to us will cause us to experience joy right in the midst of our dire circumstances. Bob Goff is a favorite author of mine. He, if you haven't read his books, dig them out. They're great. One of my favorite books is Love Does. Another one is Everyone Always, Everybody Always. They're great books. He's a joy-filled guide who chooses to love people well. I watched a podcast interview with Bob, and he spoke on joy. And he gives us some great points that I believe that Scripture expounds on. There's some points that will help us to get some traction when it comes to moving forward with joy. And this is what Bob Goff says. He says that joy starts with authenticity. Now, to be authentic is to not be false or copied, but instead be genuine and real. Jesus lived an authentic life. He wept. He got angry. He rejoiced. He was fully God, but he was also fully man. Jesus gets us. 
He's not looking for a bunch of oil paintings, and, and the world doesn't want that either. I think we need to look no further than our youth to see that they want real and they want authentic. I want real. I want authentic. The world wants real. The world wants authentic. And it doesn't come from a Cheshire smile where we just say, you know, praise God, I'll, I'm going to get through. You will get through. But there's something called authenticity. We're human beings. We hurt. We feel pain. Be authentic. As you choose joy, also know that you are human. Cut yourself some slack during hard times. Extend grace to others when they are going through hard times. Be real in the very real midst of your circumstances as you're doing your best to lift your eyes to choose joy. And then he says, live in anticipation. I love that. Live in anticipation. Know that you have received, if you've received Christ, you have hope. The fruit of the Spirit, joy, is available to you. My husband has been reminding me of this the past several weeks. We are not without hope. Could you say that with me this morning? We are not without hope. We are not without hope. In fact, why don't, I think somebody needs to say that about themselves. I am not without hope. Ready? I am not without hope. We are not without hope. And knowing that we are not without hope brings us, gives us the opportunity to choose joy right in the very circumstances, right in the midst of our very circumstances. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 addresses this. It's in regard to grief, but I find it settling to my heart. It says, don't live like those who are without hope. Live knowing that your, your life is lived for a redeemer, a rescuer. You are not without hope. And then finally, third point Bob Goff says, surround yourself with safe people you can trust. Proverbs 18, 24 states, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Proverbs 17, 17 tells us that a friend loves at all times. Find your people who will allow you to be real and at the same time will point you back to the hope that you have in Jesus. Stir up joy in safe places. Be intentional. And then finally, watch where you dwell. This is what Bob says. Watch where you dwell. There's a place near here called Bolt Castle. Anybody been? It's a beautiful castle, which has a really somber story behind it. At the turn of the century, millionaire uh, George C. Bolt set out to build a castle in Alex Bay on Bolt Island. It was a grandiose structure, and it was set to display the love that he had for his life, Lois. Sadly, his wife died suddenly before it was finished, so George had to pull construction on the beautiful structure. He should have called George and, or Jeff and Robin Hills. Um, but <laughs> anyway, so he pulled construction, and the, the castle sat there unfinished for 73 years. It was a castle that was meant to display love, and yet it was never touched. It was never dwelled in. Today, the castle has been restored. You can visit there. I've been there multiple times. But every time I'm there, I can't help but feel a little bit sad it was a place where love was meant to dwell, and yet that never existed. And to dwell with God, to get out of the negative headspace that we can absolutely be in in the midst of our very real circumstances is to slow down and to choose to move into the castle, move into the place that was meant to house joy with Jesus. As scripture encourages us in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, watch your thoughts Take them captive. It's too easy to just blow through life, letting your thoughts lead you. And I want to encourage you, my friends, right now in this moment, wherever your circumstances find you, choose wisely. Choose joy in the very real circumstances that you are in. Ruminating on the wrong thing will keep you from living in a castle meant for joy. Bob Goff is living out scripture. He is known for his joy. And he says this, when joy is a habit, love is a reflex. When joy is a habit, love is a reflex. 
Now here is where we hang our hope on which we press into for joy. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, we're encouraged that God will never leave us, that he will never forsake us. We are not alone in this, and that's where we can hang our hope. He will never leave me. He will never forsake me, even in the very real moments of pain and grief and anguish in my own life and in your life. He will never leave me. He will never forsake me. My circumstances may leave me breathless. People's choices may leave me discouraged. I may battle fear and worry, but I have a promise that causes me to rise above my very real circumstances. My God will never leave me. He walks through my lowest life moments with me, and it's there that I find joy. My friend Meredith Valdez texted me yesterday, and she shared a quote with me that Holy Spirit gave her during a very real season of grief, and it was this, joy is the fruit not the pursuit. Okay, the pursuit is Jesus. And as you pursue Jesus, the result is joy. So be set apart. Be transformed. Your God walks with you. He lifts your head. Choose joy. Romans 12, 2 says this, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I love how it is uh, relayed to us in the message version. It says, so here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Okay, that's when my ears perk up. Whoa, what can I be doing? Take your everyday ordinary life, you're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted in your culture that you fit in without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it, unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings out the best out of you, develops a well-formed maturity in you. Now check this out as we begin to wrap up. In Genesis 49, we see Jacob at the end of his life. He gathers all 13 of his sons around to bless them. And when he gets to Judah, remember that fourth child, praise the Lord. Jacob describes Judah as a lion cub. Now this is interesting. Jesus comes directly from Judah's lineage and is known as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Jesus' lineage drills back to Judah, whose name was praise. There's something really powerful in that that makes me want to choose joy, choose wisely, choose to praise in the very midst of my circumstances because I have a God that never leaves me, that never forsakes me. Joy, it's a settled assurance that God is in control and that you can trust him with the outcome. Joy, it can be experienced in the midst of trauma. And joy, when your future is unknown, and when your heart is sad. That kind of joy is not of this world and it's set apart. Joy is possible for us, not because it comes naturally, but ultimately because of the choice that Christ made for us. So in wrapping up, how do we respond to a message like this? How do we today in 2023 respond in praise and joy in the very real situations in our lives? I believe the answer is found in scripture. It's Hebrews 12, one through two, looking to Jesus, who is our example, who is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. And it says this, therefore, 
since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which so clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated on the right hand of the throne of God. Now, joy, that same word joy, drilled down to its original meaning is cheerfulness that is calm delight. Jesus endured the pain of the cross. Our sin, our burdens, our situations were heaped on Christ. And it says that because of our sin, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He couldn't feel his father because of what we have done. And yet he endured it for the joy that was set before him. And that joy was you. And that joy is me. So when I'm in the midst of very real pain on this side of eternity, I stand in good company. I stand in good company because Jesus endured the pain that was set before him. He knows what it's like. He knows what it's like. Choosing joy is not of this world. It's being set apart. Choosing joy is exactly like following Christ's example. Now, He Gets Us is a movement to reintroduce people to the Jesus of the Bible and His confounding love and forgiveness. You know, sometimes people have just got it messed up. We get it twisted sometimes. You know, we're weird. We get in the way. And He Gets Us is a movement that's happening right now. You may have seen a couple ads during uh, Super Bowl last year. He Gets Us is saying that Jesus understands. He's not far off. He's near. And what they say is this. They say, You see, the joy Jesus talked about and lived out isn't dependent on circumstances, and it isn't a reactionary thing. It's a lasting emotion, a deep-seated assurance, and a way of life. And that's the kind of thing that we see in the Old Testament with Leah and her kids. That's the kind of stuff that Robin Hills is made of as she suffers a physical blow that could have taken her out. Bob Goff presses into this thing called joy that is not of this world, and the result is love toward others. And Meredith Valdez understands that joy is the fruit of pursuing Jesus. Jesus, not the end in itself. I'm going to ask that you stand with me this morning as we transition to a time of worship. I'm going to pray for you. Psalm 42, 5 says, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. I'm going to pray for two sets of people today. First, I want to pray for those that are really struggling with joy. Your circumstances have left you a bit dusty when it comes to joy, and you don't feel set apart. You believe the lie that there's no hope, and I want to pray for you today. I'm not asking that people close their eyes, because this is a moment. Listen, my hand is up there, okay? I need time with Jesus every day, because like I said, I'm prone to wander. I'm human, and the, the pain sometimes can take my breath away, but I know there's nowhere else to go. He is my source. He's my source. If I'm going to have power that comes from on high, it's not going to come from me. It needs to come from my Heavenly Father. So if you're like me and you're struggling with finding joy in your circumstances, would you lift your hand? I want to pray for you today. Yeah, hands all around because we're human and we live on the broken side and it hurts sometimes. Situations happen that take our breath away. And I want to pray for you this morning. Father, I pray for those that have their hands lifted along with mine and we cry out, God, that you would choose us Help us to choose you as we rise above our circumstances this morning. Lord, you told us that in this world we would have trouble, but we could take heart because you've overcome the world. And so right now, we just lift our eyes to you. We lift our eyes to you. We pray that you would rescue us from our own selves. Lord, we have one life to live, just one life to live. And 
God, would you help us to rise above the pain that this world has to offer and to plug into you? Thank you, Jesus. God, I pray for new days and new ways for my very honest and vulnerable brothers and sisters this morning, both in this place and online. God, I thank you. And then I wanna allow this next moment to be a private moment. So I'm gonna ask that you close your eyes and bow your heads. And right now, maybe you're here today and you have not yet received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. You've known about Jesus, but you've never invited him into your heart. Here's the thing, Jesus is a gentleman. He won't barge in and take over. He won't like come on in and change things for you. He wants to be invited in. And with nobody looking around, like let this be a private moment. I tend to peek during prayer, I'm sorry, I do. But in this moment, no one's gonna be a peeker, okay? Let this be a holy moment. And if you're online, just click the button that says, I raised my hand, I received Jesus this morning. And if you're in this space, I'm just gonna ask that you shoot your hand up. Like, yeah, I've never done this before, but I'm ready to give it a shot. I see you, more important, Jesus does. Anybody else this morning? Yeah, I I have definitely been uh, sailors diving into the ground and I need to know that there is a God that will rescue me. If that's you this morning, lift your hand up. What are you waiting for? If you feel that pounding in your heart, you know what that is? That's Holy Spirit wooing you. He's been wooing you since the moment he knit you together in your mother's womb. Just lift your hand and say, yeah, I'm, I'm done with my way. Yeah, I see your hand and most importantly, Jesus does. I'm done with my way. My way's not working. My way's not working. I need to know there's another way. Father, I thank you for those that are vulnerable, both in this space and online to say, I don't know. Maybe some of you have been walking in a headspace since the day you were born, but today's a day of reckoning, a day that'll take you to a whole new place. So let's pray together, my friends. Let's pray together this morning. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for me, intimately, personally. I want to follow you. Help me get out of my own headspace. Help me to get out of my own way. want to follow you. I invite you to be the Lord and leader of my life. Help me to follow you every day. I want to leave my old life of sin behind. Help me, Holy Spirit. I want to leave my old life of sin behind. And I want to heal my broken relationship with God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, as we enter into a time of worship, two challenge questions to take with you this week. Number one, am I choosing joy in the midst of my circumstances? And number two, how can I move from ruminating on the wrong things to allowing my gaze to shift to the true source of joy? Who is Jesus, the one who will never leave me, the one who will never forsake me? Oh, let's worship him this morning.